0: Kids, I'm Michelle Carlo, and this show is Fish Out of Agua! Last week, I did a little roaming, learned Brooklyn is not America, and I battled my brother over what killed my father and nearly killed my mother diabetes. Like the saying goes, sticks and stones may break one's bones, but this week, words threaten to kill my mother again, as a lifetime's worth of resentment and cruelty spoils what was for once a happy family occasion. I often wonder what is wrong with we humans that history has to constantly repeat itself. Like the threatening global situations we seem to be re-experiencing today. As sung by XTC in their 1980 album Black Sea with Living Through Another Cuba. Sometimes it does feel like we're 1961 again and we're the piggies in the middle. we're back with fish out of agua on radio free brooklyn today we're going to break format and open with our fish out of agua guest artist of the week i've been saving this one up for you kids for just this very episode and we've gone back to storytelling world with this guest who i think is one of the best story humans i've ever heard and trust me on this kids i've been around for a sprinkle of years and i've heard lots but why don't i just let him tell you Welcome to Fish Out of Bagua's guest artist of the week. Oh my God. I am so excited to have this storyteller on for you guys today. I've been waiting months, months to have this interview. And let me, let me just stop talking and let's just get to it with the fantastic and the amazing Gaston Almonte. Hey, in the building, yeah. in the building. Yes, sneaking in the conference room at the day job of fashion land. Oh,
1: no, no. I'm a big dude to be tippy I know, it. We, we made
0: it. Made we it. Made Between made my it. red hair and your big body, you know, oh my God. It was tough. It was it was tough. No, it No, <laughs> we got the cloak of invis- invisibility and Here shit. There we go. We made it happen. Yeah. Good. So, Gastor, remind me how we met. Because um, you're one of my newer friends.
1: Yeah, yeah. We linked up, I want to say, maybe a year ago mm-hmm. around there at uh, at Jeff's show, the the New York uh, Story Exchange. Oh, at Punisher
0: Street. That's yeah, the one yeah. I co-host. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, right.
1: yeah okay. he was hosting it. Uh, and uh, I did, uh, what story was that? I want to say. I know I know I made fun of Jeff up front. Like he he like had he had struggle uh, giving me a hand, like a pound or something. Like he you didn't know how to shake my hand in a hood way.
0: Uh, so oh Yeah, him. yeah. yeah. You I know, mean, you know, it's not easy to guess. Sometimes I go off on that too. I get a little, dis- I get a little hand dyslexia.
1: I commended his effort, though. You know, yeah. he tried. Yeah. He yeah, yeah.
0: So did you tell the story about tr- trying to like get with your girl and you were on the the air conditioner with no pants?
1: Yeah, I think that was there. That was the, the second time I told that. Yeah. yeah.
0: And what were you doing? Wait, what's the euphemism that you use for? for uh, checkers.
1: Checkers. So, playing yeah. checkers. Yeah, because when I first uh, prepped that story, uh, my kids were home, so. I had to practice it without saying sex because they would ask so many questions. I started saying playing checkers.
0: He doesn't mean that this story was about like when he, while he had kids, this story was like when he was a teenager and he was practicing the story. There you go. Like it's not like he was stepping out on his, on his, on his, nah, on his wife. No. clarifying
1: that. Yeah, that clarifying. The right otherwise, now. otherwise you're just another, oh,
0: otherwise you're just another Latin man stepping out. I
1: lose my house right now.
0: No, oh, no, 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 no. The house R. is Kelly's good. All
1: Kelly's women's threat is real serious. The house Talk is not that. on fire, but this
0: story <laughs> is mad funny. So he's, you know, he's like, you're like a teenager. Yeah, I was uh, 18. Yeah, and you know, you're trying to play checkers with this girl mm-hmm. and. Um, um, the, the family member comes home unexpectedly, and the only way out is out the window, and you end up standing on the air conditioner with no pants, and then she gives you. Her daddy's pants.
1: Yeah, I put on his pants when I was inside. We didn't notice it until he was getting ready for work. So I had to take them off while standing on the air conditioner. With a broken arm. With the broken oh, arm. So yeah. And yeah. then there
0: were police involved.
1: Yeah, they uh they didn't really uh buy what I was uh selling right there. They saw me standing on the windowsill, East New York, Brooklyn. They're like, yo, this this doesn't make sense. They assumed the worst. Um, but after talking it over with them, it took a while, but they understood what I was about. Everybody, you know, at eighteen, tried to get laid at some point. Of so, course, you know, they Mama, understood. You know, Mama,
0: even if you're like a f- sprinkle of years over eighteen, you're. Exactly. From- you know, you yeah. might not be
1: standing in them inside of windows, right? Day, hopefully, I, hopefully I, I, right? I'm worried
0: about somebody. <laughs> at my point, a family member comes in the what the walker. Yeah, you know. Wait, no, mom, <laughs> my, my mother does not have a walker yet. I need to. Oh my god, I could, I could not even have sex in that house. Oh my god, never. But okay, so the one thing that struck me the most about that story, never mind that it's so hilarious. But the other part of that story is that how easily it could have totally friggin' gone the other way.
1: Yeah, um, that, that's kind of like why I like telling it. Um, a lot of what I, what I try to do in my stories is to show that um, I, I want to show the issues that uh, minorities deal with in my neighborhood in particular. Um, And show them that the initial issues are the same as they are everywhere else. I'm still a teenager just trying to talk to a girl. Yeah. And that happens in every neighborhood. And then... I want to show the other dynamics of it. There was uh, two cops there. One of them was definitely more aggressive, and I wouldn't say that he was doing anything wrong. We'll either both the
0: cops Caucasian.
1: Um, one was, and one was a Spanish dude about okay. um, maybe twenty six, twenty seven. Okay. So he uh, was the one that kind of played peacemaker. Like he, was, he, he was good cop. Yeah, he came over, talked to me, saw what was going on, and he, you know, he convinced his partner to kind of buy me some time and kind of let the situation play out, let the father leave, and you know, make sure that I was cool and the girl was cool. Um, but yeah, you need that. And I feel like it, it showed, uh, A lot of the issues that kind of happened in my neighborhood and the importance of you know talking and communicating in those neighborhoods with authorities and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, because that story could definitely have had a very different ending. It could have been ugly. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that you're here, sitting next to me, talking about it. Damn,
1: I would have told that story too, though. You know, and I found a way to make it funny as well. But yeah, Yeah. I agree. I'm happier with this version.
0: (laughs) No doubt, no (laughs) doubt. Um, so you're born and raised in East New York. Mm Mm-hmm. And in, in, in Brooklyn, and, like, I've been living in South Slope. This is 29 years now. I left my parents, I my parents' apartment in the Bronx to get as far away from them and still be in the same city because <laughs> my mother and father would not come visit me in Brooklyn. Really? They're from Puerto Rico. They grew up in Spanish Harlem, lived in Washington, Heights in the South Bronx, and they thought they were afraid for me. That, that Brooklyn was worse. And I lived in, well, South Slope is nice now. Yeah. But 29 years ago. Yeah,
1: I get it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Miss, I miss that, by the way. Like, I know I'm glad the neighborhood's better in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But I miss the fear of people knowing. <laughs> this like it was I like know. instant credibility. I like know, I can just say kid. that, you know, like oh, where are you from, Brooklyn? And it would just end any convo. Right. It was just instant credibility, instant props. I don't have that anymore. Like I gotta explain now, nah, real Brooklyn, yeah. Uh prior Brooklyn, old Brooklyn, prior Brooklyn. original no, Brooklyn, non
0: gentrified. Yeah, Brooklyn. like I gotta
1: fully like yeah. elaborate. And that's why I always say East New York in particular, cause right. that's one of the areas where it's still what it was before in yes. a lot of ways.
0: It's, it's yeah, it hasn't had yeah. the tide has not turned for it yet. Yeah, yes. it hasn't happened
1: yeah. there. You yeah. know,
0: so the last bold day that was on my corner. Yeah. closed in January, and I was like crying. I was like, "Where am I going to get my dulce de coco? Where you am know? I going to get my coconut fix on?" And like, when you when you run out of an avocado, when you think you have a good aguacate, yeah. and then you open that shit, and it's like all nasty and like like mushy brown oh I always go to the corner and get but he was gone I was like why and I look he's not hurting he owned the building yeah. but he had that business from the 80s and he was like Michelle the neighborhood changed people don't want what I sell anymore so it's going to be a game a game stop wow well, it's education at least you yeah, know because well. a lot of kids but look at least it's not um like
1: Starbucks right, or, right. or like
0: an ATM but let, let's get back to stories. Rock so on. the story about the air conditioners, is that the one that you got on that new Comedy Central show? oh uh, nah,
1: nah. I was um I was on Ari Shafir's uh This Is Not Happening on Comedy Central, but that was uh that was a story uh of uh when my dad uh told my cousins who were drug dealers to oh, yeah. scare the hell out of me all year uh by wearing like a joker mask. So I pretended to be Batman to kinda get over my fear of them. Um and they kinda convinced me to do a whole bunch of stupid shit in the neighborhood. And, you know, gassed me into being being a superhero over and over again. Um, But, yeah, it was just an elaborate way of my dad to ensure that I didn't like my cousins.
0: And then you yeah. have another story about your dad where there was some, uh, there, was some cash mo- there was yeah. some cash money involved, <laughs> yeah. and he set you up.
1: Yeah, my my dad has an interesting way of parenting, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Do, do you
0: carry that on with your kids? Oh, uh,
1: yeah. I try not to honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, there's, there's a limit. Gastor's
0: daddy. Yeah. You're gonna it, hear the truth.
1: There's a. There's a there's oh a my l- god!
0: I can't believe I said truth. <laughs> you're bringing it out. You're bringing the Bronx out. Good.
1: Good. Because at least,
0: at least, you said that. Like, you know, people think you're you're soft now. If, if you say you're from Brooklyn, at least I grew up. In the Bronx. So yeah. at least I still got that. The
1: BX is real. It's still yeah, awesome yeah, place. But, but
0: you made me say truth. Oh there my you God. go. It's
1: okay. It's yeah. after hours. I know we at work, yeah. but you are good. You
0: good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, you, you're parenting and, and yeah, yeah, like
1: um. I still, I'm still, I think I'm creative. Uh, my wife doesn't always agree with what I come up with, but I don't, uh, I, I try not to push the limit that my dad did. Um, and it's for different reasons, right? One, I, I definitely think that he was way more aggressive than necessary, at least for what's necessary now with my kids. Right. Um, and B, being frank, we're different people. Uh, what he was protecting me from is no longer a threat to me. That's, when, yeah, yeah. you know, when he was growing up as, and he became a young parent- the neighborhood that he grew up in and the things that he had to do to pay bills uh, were definitely more dangerous, being mm. frank. Whereas he made sure that I never have to work like that and I never have to do those things. So I know of the world and I'm involved with people that are there, but I've never had to take part in things like that. So I've always had a regular job and now I'm pursuing comedy and things like that. Yeah. So my my edge is, is, isn't the same as his. I've never had those dangers in my life. So I, I'm still creative. I learned from him to... You know, kind of think outside the box in how I parent, but I don't have to take it to the extreme that he did because I'm not worried that my kid is going to see me doing something a little too gangster and be interested in it because right. that's not a part of me. Whereas the death was a part of him.
0: And just think how lucky you're going to be when, you, when 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 you're a bueno and you see how your kids are doing it. Exactly, right? and that's the goal. Not and that I that's, that's going to happen anytime soon
1: because they're still they're
0: in grade they, school they now. Little,
1: they little seven and eight.
0: Oh no, that ain't gonna be for a mm-hmm. long time. Right, was 20, at least twenty or? years.
1: Oh yeah, no, hopefully. at least twenty years. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. hopefully. I ain't wait that long. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so how did you get into storytelling?
1: Um, actually, uh, did you
0: do stand up first?
1: I I've been a stand up for a while now. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I've done that uh, maybe seven eight years at this point. But uh, the storytelling thing is recent, maybe like a year and a half. So uh, what
0: made you segue into that? Did you like come apart- across the moth or anything? How- um,
1: no. Um, there was a comic, uh, Andrew Colson. He hosted a show in Brooklyn uh, that he asked a few different comedians to come do a story. Um, I did a long story there that did really well, and the comic after happened to be uh, Jeff Zimmerman, mm, and he's big know. on the moth, and yeah. he's done all those things, and uh, he's become a good friend of mine, but from that show, he pulled me aside, he's like, yo, that shit is crazy, that story's dope, you need to do it at this place um, I really didn't understand what the hell the storytelling community was. I didn't mm. know anything about it. Didn't know it existed. Um, to me, storytelling was something that was inside of stand-up. Um, mm. I didn't know that it was a separate thing, and oh, wow. um, it never it never occurred to me that it had its own community. Uh, like to me, like you know, my favorite storytellers coming up was like Dave Chappelle, you know, right, right, Bill Cosby, right. you know, before all the crazy shit he did. Right. But you know, like that st- that style of storytelling is what I grew up with. Um, so yeah, he told me about it. He put me on his show. Um, and then he told uh, Andy Christie about me. Right, and he and put he did me on The Liar, liar Show. show. Um, but yeah. if it wasn't for Jeff and Andy kind of just gambling on me, I honestly wouldn't be doing this. I, I didn't know it was a thing.
0: See, but that's the difference between storytelling and stand-up. Because mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've seen both worlds. And um, we're not even talking about the Mafia Yeah, been, yeah we're I haven't even me, done that. We're yeah. talking about all the offshoots. Uh, shows like um like the liar show and and I mm-hmm. am not lying yeah. and the New York Story Exchange and No Name Show the yeah. storytellers are generous. The storytellers help a brother and a sister out. Most the definitely. The storytellers will come up like I came up to you that night at New yeah. York Story Exchange and I was like, dude, you got to be on my show. Yeah, not even that.
1: Just like, yo, you straight up just said, I love what you're doing. That was incredible. Love the story. You talked to me for ten minutes without even pitching a show. That's true. That was just because just, I liked it you. It was just pure love, because exactly.
0: I'm, because I'm genuine, like that shit was shit. dope. I was like, I'm I genuine as shit. Yeah.
1: It was just like, yo, this shit's fire. She loves it. I, was, I, I, I had to get to know you just off the strength of that. I was Like, yo, this is real pure. And then, know? and
0: then, not too long after that, we ended up being on the same show together. See, because yeah. I had seen your work, but you yeah. hadn't
1: seen me. Exactly. That I, I, it was. After, we did like two shows together. I know we did a baby's House.
0: Um, yeah, baby house storytelling. Yeah, we
1: did that. And I, there was another, I forget which one, but I know we did two shows within like a month and a half yeah. directly after that. Um but yeah, to your point, I, yeah, completely right. It's a whole different way of uh communicating. Um I think comics support each other on social media after the fact, uh but during the course of getting better, um they're not quite as supportive normally like uh you won't see comics pull you aside after a and say, incredible work, this is what was good. Um, You won't see comics kind of recommend you as much for other things until you're at a certain level. Um, I think storytellers are far more willing to give, uh, words of encouragement early on, mm-hmm. um, uh, stand up. You kind of have to earn that. We are encouraging too, but we won't do it for the first two to three years to just anybody. Wow. We, like you have to weed yourself out. Yeah. And then if you're still doing this shit for five years, then you'll start seeing that camaraderie. Like, wow. you made it through a fuck with you. can't do this. It's yeah. Different. It's different. I found that you guys were super warm as a no, community. No, I'm just like, street. I
0: love you. You're great. Come here. Do yeah. this, do this. Meet this person, meet this person, meet the other person. Yeah. whole that, different world. That's, was how super that's how we are. That's how we are. Yeah, they used to be um, a long time ago. Did you ever hear of a woman named Sherry Weaver? No. Nah. She's an older woman. Uh, like You know how like, James Brown is like the godfather of soul? Okay. Well, Sherry Weaver is like the godmother of storytelling. Rock form. She's, she's, um, she's in her, God, she's got to be in her late 60s now. Um, Caucasian lady lives on, lives in, uh, the North Slope, the fancy part, Carol Gardens. There you go, there um, no, you go. No, Carol Street, Carol Street. And anyway, I said her fucking, like, address on the I didn't <laughs> say that! Um, so anyway, she used to run this awesome storytelling show called Speakeasy. Okay. And she would put anybody up, you right. I mean? Anyway, like, all you had to do was, like, buy her a, a glass of wine or a margarita, which she would probably end up paying for anyway, and <laughs> tell her a story. Yeah. And, like, then she put you on. That's G- fine. Like 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 no matter how polished, yeah you yeah, were. yeah, and there were at least I'm gonna say at least twenty five storytellers that have name today, you know that are doing like slamming and work yeah. that got their start like Hamana 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 at Over her there. show. She did it for five years, <laughs> and like and then she was just like that. She was just Kudos. like so inclusive, man. Like she would just be like, you got a story, get up a stage and tell it. Like one time. Um, it's like somebody like didn't show up, and so I was hanging out. So I'm drinking because I'm hanging yeah. I'm networking, and like I had like two glasses of wine. And she's like, and now Michelle crawl to the stage, and I'm like, hiccup, eh, what? <laughs> but it was all good.
1: That's what's up. That's pure. I, I I dig that so much. Like there's a, and it has to do with the. Uh, with the economics of it right like I feel like there's a while there's money being made in storytelling there's a direct finish line in stand-up you know like you'll do these things get a half hour get an hour get a tv show so because of that and because of that template getting set so many people are competing for specific spots so initially you have way more competition whereas storytelling it's still pure and it's part of the fear that I think uh A lot of people have in what's happening. Like, it's great that more people are seeing it, but Mm. there's a fear, in my opinion, that. You know, we're starting to transition to the point to where corporate is getting involved. Yeah,
0: monet- it's getting yeah, monetized. and you
1: might have that, where yeah, it's gonna yeah. lose that inclusiveness, yeah. that family that yeah. you'll get at the end of New York Story Exchange, at the Liar's Show, mm-hmm. Yum's the Word, and I'm Not Lying. There's, yeah. like, a party at the end of those shows, you know?
0: Sideshow go! Yeah,
1: exactly. Like, at the end of those shows, like, we, we literally chill. You don't yeah. get that at stand-up. No. I do a stand-up show. I'm trying to do four sets that night, you know? So, when you do a storytelling show, I almost try to make sure that's my night. I rarely do more than two when I'm doing a storytelling night because I feel awkward leaving because I feel like that's part of the thing. Like, hey, let's chill tonight. We're together. Whereas stand-up, I do it. I'm trying to work through a specific piece of material. So I want to do four, five, six sets, record them, and listen to them all yeah. on the train ride home. It's a whole different approach for the night.
0: And the the next level for storytelling level, if that's the word to use, is like some people have a book, like I do. Some people go on to do theater, like Martin Dockery, who makes living with all the fringes, or Peter Michael. Well, Peter Michael Marino is just a theater person, but there's other people that just like they'll do all all the fringe festivals and stuff. So that's like the next the next phase for them. And I kind of think that the difference is between the competitiveness. I think storytellers get we grasp that you know what it's not crowded at the top. It's crowded at the bottom. Right, right. Like, there's plenty of ideas. Like, no one could do your your stories. Like, no one could do mine. Exactly. Because you're you and, and I'm me. And if somebody else tried to do, like, fish out of agua stuff, it they'd be like, weak. what? Yeah. yeah. Like, I couldn't be, like, on, on, on an air conditioner playing checkers <laughs> with, with no pants on. Oh, that, that'd be another story when the cops <laughs> came, like, right? Rock oh, on. Rock right on. <laughs> so where, where do you see the future of storytelling going? And, and what do you think about um, the color or so or lack of it? Because when I first started doing The Moth, which was like oh, 12 years ago, yeah. um, I was I was the Latin flavor. Me, yeah. me. And I'm like kind of like vanilla almond beige. You know? <laughs> with freckles.
1: No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel that in uh, terms of where storytelling is going, I definitely think that you're seeing uh, a bigger variety of voices getting involved yeah. now. Um, I think there's more avenues to do it. Um, and I think that we're starting to see an appreciation of it in long form. Like you have uh, Adam Wade and Peter Aguero that mm-hmm. both put out incredible albums, in my opinion, um, that it shows that this could work as a long piece. I was in D.C. for the album recording for Jeff Zimmerman, so I'm seeing the appreciation of this is an equal entity funny album. It's, a, it's not a stand-up album, but it right. can be a funny piece, it could be a moving piece, and it's a full piece of work that you can experience at home or in your on your iPod on your well, iPhone.
0: But why do you think why that more people of color aren't attracted to the story? Telling and they are attracted to stand-up. Do you think it's because of the cash money thing? I, I
1: think that's a big part of it. Just and that
0: like more art at this point?
1: At this point, and you, you're kind of getting that with uh, like com- with comedy that's like uh, related to improv. Mm. You don't see people of color do improv because there's no direct way to get paid. You kind of have to get lucky that a show hires you to write. Like, uh, you go to UCB, you go to the pit, you see a lack of color there, too. Even though they've been there longer and the scenes have existed, there's no direct way for a person of color to make a living. Whereas stand-up, you do it in a- times at worst you'll be able to start getting spots and that's true money. or you could be
0: a road comic. Yeah
1: exactly. You yeah. don't have that with improv and we don't have that with, with storytelling. That's an
0: interesting point. I'm yeah. really glad I asked that question because I've wondered that so friggin' many times. It's
1: vital. Like being frank like I feel like the only reason I could do this is because I'm a landlord. I have a way right. of making a living where while I'm struggling as artists. C I L L. Kill my landlord.
0: Yeah. Kill my
1: landlord. I- bring it, bring it, man. Pay my shit. You know? But it, 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 it's such a no, different I world. A, I know? have a
0: day job too, otherwise yeah. I couldn't do it either. You know, ask fashion truth. Passionless.
1: Well, yeah, like, if we figure out ways of supporting artists while they're struggling, you'll get more minorities doing it, and we just have to let them know that while there is no money, that we like it, and we need more voices. Yeah, we, I, we
0: our stories need to be yeah, heard. they need
1: to hear that shit. And yeah. being frank, I've, I've heard so many people come up to me after shows, like, the reason I'm doing it is because Jeff, because Peter, because yourself, because uh, Tracy Cigar, because so many people, Andy Christie, not only gave me the forums to do it, but after every show, they pulled me aside, yo, what you you're doing is not being done right now. Right. Please keep doing so it. Do it. All of you had the same sentiment. You said it verbatim like that. Like, yo, listen, I'm a I'm a Latina woman. I did what I'm doing. I like what I've done. Your shit is different than mine. And you're as close as I've seen to me. Please keep doing it. Yeah. They need to hear that voice. Yeah. You took time out to tell me that oh, I- Aww, that's know? because I liked it in it, 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 you. I, I dig that. I dig that. So and it, it was important to me, being real. like, And that's what's kept me doing it. And I, I make sure to set aside time that I could be doing stand-up to continue to do this so that people see those stories. Because you learn something different from minorities that you don't learn in a stand-up show when you hear them at a storytelling show.
0: So for anybody listening that wants to get into storytelling... Over stand-up, try both, but storytelling's better, right?
1: I can't can't go that far. Don't get me in trouble. Don't get me in trouble. I can
0: say it. I like (laughs)
1: storytelling. All right,
0: Gaston, gracias.
1: Rock
0: on. You were like like the bestesses. Yay!
1: It's right (laughs) there in the season.
0: You're listening to Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. In case you've been counting, or not, this is our penultimate, our next-to-last episode, Yes, our story is nearly done, but before we get the answer to a question that shadowed my entire life and much of my mother's, let's ask ourselves, why is it often easier to betray than to support, to be cruel than to understand? As is lamented in this song, which even though is about a relationship between lovers, the chorus says it all. From The Clash's London Calling in 1979, Train in vain. Now, Chapter 53 of Fish Out of Agua, Spanish on Sunday, Part 6. Another Sunday, another supper, only this one wasn't in anyone's home. It was Titi Ophelia's 65th birthday, and the family were all, we were all in a party room in a restaurant in Washington Heights. It was the kind of dark wood and upholstered place where, oft off-shift doctors from nearby Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, off-duty cops from the nearby Manhattan North 33rd Precinct, and local families taking a night off from cooking all felt comfortable. The food was American for a change. Roast beef, chicken and shrimp, different pastas, and salads. And it was very good. And best of all, for once, everyone was getting along fine. My family, or what was left of it, didn't get together too often anymore. I hadn't been in a room with all of them together at once since the previous Christmas, and it was now November again. At my table was also Ophelia, her new husband Ignacio, who I jokingly called Uncle Iggy, my mother, Kevin, Dulce, Evie, Alex, and Cousin Ray Ray, who would turn 40 the following week. Hurry up and join the club, Evie, Kevin joked, before Michelle leaves it. I stuck my tongue out at him, but we all laughed, because it was true. We were all getting older. Over the years, I had finally come to accept my separate but equal status in the family. I no longer took either offhand comments or outright criticism personally. In return, they didn't laugh when I danced with my shoulders instead of my hips, or complain when I proudly spoke Spanish like the American that I was. After dinner, I even asked the DJ to play a set of New Wave in between the salsa and merengue, and was amused to see how many people couldn't dance to New Order or Tom Tom Club. (laughs) But I did give him credit for trying. A round of salsa started up, and I went back to the table while my mother got up to dance with her sisters. I hadn't seen my mother dance since Evie's wedding, or mine, and both of those... We're now back in another century. My mother looked beautiful. She was wearing patent leather pumps, black patent leather pumps, albeit with only one-inch heels, and a bracelet-sleeved gunmetal silk dress with a black and silver lace and brocade overlay and a matching short jacket she left on her chair. The dress had a trumpet skirt that flared when she twirled. Once Jackie O, always Jackie O. She looked like she was having a great time, and I was happy for her. When the song finished, my mother and Dulce came back to the table, and Ophelia went off to talk to the guests. It had been eight years since my mother's triple bypass operation, and while she might not have weighed 108 pounds anymore, at this point in her life, 120 pounds was perfect. She was then 74, and had at least 10 years on most of the other guests, but looked younger than almost all of them. Ophelia's friends couldn't believe I was in my 40s either. "'Cono, way in,' as one of them put it. (laughs) They all thought Evie, who is and will always be 10 years younger than I am, they all thought Evie and I were the same age. I've never looked my age, going back to when I was a teenager. I was occasionally still proofed at bars until just very recently. And when I complained about my first gray hairs a couple of years before, my friends all said to me, "'Good. It's about time you got something. "'We were thinking you had a JPEG in your closet aging for you. "'What do you use, anyway? Oil of delay?' "'My mother and Dulce were talking about something I can't remember "'as the dessert was being served. "'Alfalia came back to the table with a half-finished pina colada in her hand. "'She started talking about how she couldn't believe she was 65,' and about how things were back in the day when she and Dulce were young, and about how she missed Abuelita, Carmen, and Papa Julio. At the mention of his name, I saw my mother stiffen like she used to, but no alarms went off inside me yet. I looked for Kevin, but he'd gone off somewhere. I'd just finished the last of my family party limit of two dark and stormies, and I was feeling good. I didn't want anything to ruin this party. For once, being with my family had been nothing but fun. Uncle Iggy came over. Ironically, he's the only one out of all of Ophelia's husbands I've ever called uncle. It's a joke because he's 10 years younger than she is and therefore only eight years older than I am, and it's kind of ridiculous, but it works. He's a kind man that has even more energy than Ophelia and keeps both of their minds occupied, something no husband or boyfriend had ever been able to do for her before. And I'm glad she finally seems to be happy. Ophelia didn't notice or acknowledge Uncle Iggy, and went on and on about Papa Julio. Dulce tried to change the subject to the baby Evie and Alex were planning to adopt. But that just got Ophelia started on another track, how she wished her almost 20 years disappeared son Benny was there. Her eyes welled up, she blew her nose, and then she looked straight at my mother and said, and who would think you, the Prieta, would still be here? I sat stunned, but said nothing. After everything I had heard Ophelia say to or about my mother over the years, I was always mystified when she flung that racial term at her. Uncle Iggy gave my mother a pained look of apology, grabbed Ophelia by the arm, and steered her out of there. Ophelia was slightly tamed by either Iggy, age, or alcohol, and went with him without protest, something that wouldn't have happened years before. But the damage had already been done. My mother started to cry, silently. Dulce, Evie, Alex, and Ray Ray immediately tried to comfort her, but she rebuffed them. At first, I thought she was overreacting. Couldn't she see Ophelia was just being drunk and stupid? I was just about to lean over and attempt to calm her as well when Kevin came back from the bathroom. He had missed the whole exchange and just saw my mother crying. "'What did you do, Michelle?' he asked. "'Nothing,' I said. "'You always do nothing.' He answered. Now, I was the one who was insulted. I got up and went to the bar for another dark and stormy. When I got back to the table, my mother said she wanted to go home, and she insisted I come with them. But I didn't want to go all the way up to the Bronx. It was almost 9.30. But why should I when I would have to go all the way back to Brooklyn alone, and what time would I get home? I could see she was upset, but couldn't Kevin take care of her? What could I do? He all He's the one that always knew what to say to soothe her. The truth was that, although I always enjoyed having my mother and Kevin visit me in Brooklyn, ever since my father died, I hated going to my mother's apartment. There were too many memories in those rooms, in that neighborhood. There were too many memories of name-calling and insecurity, too many sleepless nights from speeching or anxiety and too many ghosts of things and people I had long left behind. I told my mother i had had a writing class assignment due that Tuesday that I had not yet begun. I told her I didn't have a change of clothes. I told her I forgot to feed Jubilee. I told her to come over the following Saturday and I'd make her her favorite roasted asparagus, arugula, and artichoke salad. But something in her face scared me. I felt like I had the day ten years before when I had to choose between working a big face-painting picnic and spending what turned out to be my last Father's Day with my father. Suddenly, I thought I'd better go. I might not get another chance. I downed the dark and stormy and got into the taxi with Kevin and my mother. But I still didn't go gently. What am I supposed to wear to work tomorrow? I grumbled. Kevin, and my mother, didn't answer me or say a word the entire ride. We went up the stairs in silence and had barely arrived at the apartment and closed the door when my mother finally spoke. I have to tell you something about my father, she began. My mother had never really talked about her real father before. And she had stopped speaking and I could tell even now that she was deciding whether to continue. She did. You heard what Ophelia called me. So what if my father was half dregeño, half black? Her father was dark, too. Who was she to remind me? Of... And there was more. She told the story of Grandma Mari and the musician Beltran with the fine, tightly curled, jet-black hair, and how she and her mother had been abandoned and why they had come to New York. I struggled to process w- w- what i just heard. So our real real grandfather was black, or part black. That was it? That was the reason behind the snide remarks and disdain from Papa Julio and the others all these years? How could they? What did it matter? But then again, it was a different time with different beliefs and values, and people were ignorant of many things for many different reasons. As I tried to rationalize it all, I looked at Kevin. He had obviously heard none of this before either and was as shocked as I was. He tried to touch my mother's arm, but she pushed his hand away. And there was more. She told us what her childhood had been like and what Papa Julio had done to her. I had kind of always sensed that, but was always also afraid to ask. I could never ask my mother about anything like that when I was young. It would have caused a month of sleepless nights. So I had always remained silent about what I, too, had endured. I was exhausted, and I was also feeling a little woozy from the bumpy taxi ride and from downing that third drink. It had been a double, but there was still more. My mother revealed what it had been like for her in the hospital the isolation, and the endless pills she pretended to take. She told us how she had missed us so much and how she blamed her mother and Papa Julio for putting her there and how she blamed my father for not rescuing her and how she never really forgave him for that. I needed patience, she said. I needed love. I needed understanding. I didn't... Need to be put away? Her words trailed off. She hung her head for a moment, then picked it back up and began to scream. I hadn't heard her yell like that in twenty-five years. It was as if she had launched a ring of lightning, a, a ring of lightning bolts of rage and grief around us. I had thought the once endless fury inside her, if not had subsided, at least been subdued by age and time, but here it was, erupting all over again. She was 74. She'd had triple bypass heart surgery. There was a zipper on her chest. What might this rush of emotion do to her now? I looked at my mother's face, and the sight of her pain was overwhelming. No, It was not my pain, but it was pain nonetheless, and That was something I understood. But no matter what I had gone through, she had it far worse. At the very, very least, I had a father. I thought about my father and about how there was always something strange and distant between my mother and him. And now I knew why. I remembered when I was 19 and breaking up with Brendan... I'd ask my father why he didn't run when my mother was in the hospital. His answer was, A man doesn't run from his mistakes, little girl. Maybe my father stayed with us because he did love my mother. And maybe it was because he also loved Kevin and me. Or maybe it was because he felt guilty that he hadn't done more for her. That he allowed the hospitalization and all that subsequent horrible year to happen. The realization made my stomach drop. He should have known better. They all should have known better. But they didn't. And damn it, that family of hers could have been nicer to her. Suddenly, the rum left my system, and disconnected thoughts came, unwanted but undeniable. Grandma Mari wasn't there when my mother needed her. And my mother hadn't been there when Grandma Mari needed her. And my mother wasn't there when I needed her. And I'd been angry, so, so angry about that. I was angry that no one knew what had happened in Abuelita's house, angry that my mother was always so preoccupied, angry that I could never talk to her the way my girlfriends did with their mothers. And angry... That I always had to be careful, so careful whom I invited to the apartment, just in case something triggered my mother. And I was angry that she hadn't fought back. In my mind, she had just accepted all that sorrow and pain and never confronted the fuckers who hurt her. And then, the, the, the connection. I hadn't been there for my mother, just like she hadn't been for hers. "'but I was in the room with her now. "'All my life I had convinced myself "'that I didn't need my mother. "'Well, maybe that was true, but tonight, "'she needed me. "'The pattern could be broken. "'Tonight. "'Here. "'I reached for my mother and she came into my arms. "'I held her as if she were a child, "'and it made me uncomfortable. "'This was Kevin's domain.' I was always the one that made things right, who made things right with my father. And as my mother sobbed, I realized I couldn't remember the last time my mother and I held each other. I could feel her fragility, her fatigue, and her age. And I could also feel something else inside her, a core of strength that by force of will had kept her alive, if not entirely whole, all these years. She could have chosen differently, but she did not. And at that moment, I knew that I had that force, too. It's okay, Mom, I said. It's okay. I love you. Let it go. She said that she had been holding these secrets all these years, and she was sorry. I told her I didn't know what she was apologizing for. Or maybe I did. I kissed her hair and I told her Papa Julia was dead. Grandma Maddie was dead. My father was dead. They were gone, but Kevin and I were still here. Only instead of winding down, her sobbing escalated, and I became afraid of what might happen if it went on for much longer. Maybe, maybe it would never, never be all right for her. Maybe there are some things some people for whom it will just never be all right. But she couldn't continue like this. I I didn't know what to do, but I I felt like I had to try something. So I did what has always come naturally to me. I opened my big mouth. Wow, Mom, really? I knew it. Well, that explains everything. My mother slowly looked up at me with a mixture of shock and horror. What? Well, I I always wondered why we've always looked so good for our age. Remember? Black don't crack, brown don't frown, beige don't age, and Puerto Rican's no creakin'. Hey, that makes Kevin and me what? Uh, octoroons, right? So what? Who cares? We be looking good, and they'll all be jealous of us. My mother's sobs abruptly stopped. She broke our embrace. I wondered if this time I had finally gone too far and said the unforgivable. I looked at Kevin, my Republican, Quentin Tarantino-looking brother who was standing right next to us. He was staring at me with his mouth open. He looked as as if he was about to say something, but not before I had one last chance to shove both my feet into my mouth even deeper, all the way down into my fundillo. I raised my hand for a high five. Yo, brother, dynamite, yo, Sanford, yo, Sambo, what up? Kevin shot me a look that could only be described as deep disgust, crossed with incredulous, begrudging appreciation. And I could tell that he was torn between telling me off and writing me off for good or bursting out laughing. The laughter won. He cracked up and high-fived me back. Kevin said, Show nuff, sis. We should all go to Ophelia's next birthday wearing white face. We can sing Mammy to her in Spanish. You can paint us. I answered, Okay, but you best start practicing su español now. We only got a year. Si, bueno, si, Kevin answered. How's that? My mother had moved to stand in between us, and I saw her face change from shock and horror, to anger and disbelief, to the face of a mother with two incorrigibly mischievous children. She swatted at the two of us and told us we were both terrible and had better repent. But mama, I said, I tries to be good, but then unexpectedly and amazingly, my mother started laughing, too, laughing and crying and then crying some more. But these tears were different. She hugged Kevin and me tightly. "'My children,' she said. "'My children.' I thought about when Kevin and I were growing up and were in the living room trying to do our homework. The TV would be on. Our father would be on the sofa snoring. The sixth train would rattle past the window every five minutes, and our mother would be speeching in another room out the window. But if Kevin and I would stop to ask her something... She would stop, too, and calmly answer whatever it was, then go back to her venting. We'd go back to our long division of book reports. She'd always been our mother, even when she couldn't be herself. I went to work the next day in my party dress. I'm sure some of my co-workers thought I was doing the walk of shame, but I didn't care. On the way back to Brooklyn that evening... I thought about how nothing, nothing I had tried my entire life had satisfied me for very long. Drawing, graffiti, friends, drugs, art school, work, marriage, performing. Nothing was ever enough. I had always tried so hard not to be like my mother, yet in a way, I was exactly like her. Something had never been right for me, either. I took that thought back to my apartment, and when I got there, I sat down at my computer and started to write. Jubilee, my new cat, jumped up on the table and tried to lie across the keyboard. She hadn't eaten for two days. She wanted her dinner. Still, she purred. I was home exactly where I was supposed to be. heard Timmy Thomas's 1972 single Why Can't We Live Together, along with the Smiths' Big Mouth Strikes Again, from their 1984 singles album, Underneath and After That Story. And now, another of the many letters throughout Fish Out of Agua, that weren't written, but were spoken. Chapter 54, When the Miracle Doesn't Come. Dear Michelle, I was angry for a long time. I'm still angry sometimes, even now, because I wasn't crazy when they locked me away, but I'm sure I was when I came out. You don't know what that is, to cry for help and have no one listen, to feel like you can't count on anyone or anything, to feel totally abandoned and betrayed. Or maybe you do. You think I didn't give you anything? You had two things I never had. One was your father. The second was freedom. The freedom to make your own choices. The freedom to be yourself. I think you realize that now. And I think you know that there was never, ever a time when I didn't love Kevin and you. You are my blessings my children love always and forever mom 1 corinthians 13:6-8 love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres love never fails ephesians 4:31 Let all bitterness, and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, with all malice. Hebrews 11.1 Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. P.S. Michelle I think your titi failure needs a facelift. Don't you? P.S.S. I also think you should think about getting another cat. I think Jubilee is lonely. And that's our show. You've been listening to the serialization of my book, Fish Out of Agua, on Radio Free Brooklyn, where there's just one episode left. But fear not, when we reach the books and the seasons end next week, you can catch any episode you may have missed on Audio Boom, or listen to the entire book from start to finish. Once again, next week is our final show for this season and I'm going to close today with a song that reminds me of my mom. The once and forever, one and only Jackie O of East 103rd Street in New York City's El Barrio or Spanish Harlem. Mom turned 84 on April 23rd and this song, originally by Ben E. King in 1960, here covered by Aretha Franklin in 1971, always reminds me of her stay tuned for brooklyn bandstand next and we'll see you next week love you mom